Welcome back to the World of Commerce podcast. In this episode, I met with Product Up CEO Vincent Peters. Having worked at companies like Oracle and Siebel Systems when they were still startups and having joined Tipco and Click through their years of massive growth, Vincent is a true software veteran. We spoke about how they created the category CRM, Customer Relationship Management at Siebel, and how Salesforce later took it over. We also looked into product consumer management and how it will help brands and retailers succeed in the decades to come. So let's dive right in. At Siebel, what was interesting is that I was more conscious about the fact that we were actually building a new software category. The term CRM did not exist. It's hard to imagine now because the yeah. first thing you do if you found the company now is you, you know you go of course. to Salesforce and get a, Today it's a, given. a license for your CRM system. Yeah. Analyst told Siebel there was no business for <laughs> what he was trying to build. <laughs> so hi, good morning, Vincent. Good morning, Marcel. Hey, I'm here today um, at the office of Products Up interviewing Vincent Peters, um, the CEO of Products Up. Um, before we go to who you are and your person, uh, one question I ask all of the guests. What's an item that you recently purchased that you really love and why? Okay, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I keep it very close to myself. The, the thing I bought most recently, I think, is are my new sunglasses. <laughs> I bought them in New York and Soho. I really like them. Uh, but actually, the item I got also in New York, I liked even more, is uh, this... Uh, This water bottle. Okay. Uh, I actually got it from Product Shop, so nicely branded. And but the reason really is, I'm, I'm obviously, as, as you know, I'm Dutch, and uh, we Dutch, we, we don't like to spend money. And <laughs> but I, I overall, I I hate, I just cannot spend ten dollars on a bottle of water in New York. That's hilarious. Um, you know, where a gallon of gas costs two dollars, and people are already very excited about that in, in the US. Uh, so how on earth can you pay between five and ten dollars for a bottle of water? I mean, it's just insane, right? Yeah. If you think about the production cost of oil and water, you, you clearly see there's something wrong. You go to a gas station, uh, again, you buy two dollars for a gallon of gas, and then right. you pay two and a half or three dollars for 33 centiliters bottle of water. Um, there's something completely wrong there. So I love my water bottle. I take them everywhere where I travel. I had a metal one in the past. But uh, those you always need to empty uh, at security and the plastic see-through bottles, uh, ah. at least in more and more airports, you can keep your water uh, to nice. get through security. So that. that's why I like that bottle a lot. Water seems to be an issue in the US. I remember when I was at Shop Talk in March, the receptionist warned me, uh, Mr. Hollerback, don't drink the water from the hotel room. Every bottle is $25. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, let's yeah, let's do insane. that. It's insane. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, I mean, you have a whole lot of experience in the software industry. I think it's fair to say to call you a veteran in our industry. Um, you've worked, you shared with me um, in the past that you've worked with the likes of Tom Siebel and you've also got to meet Mark, Mark Benioff. Please introduce yourself to the audience and uh, yeah, who's Vincent Peters? Who's Vincent Peters? Vincent is in, in essence a very curious boy that is interested in new things and wants to learn everything. Um, I started at the age of 22 for a small company uh, that was called Oracle. <laughs> small company. I, I was the sixth consultant in Europe. Um, and I was one of the very few that could put on a switch on the Oracle optimizer to look to the hexadecimal dumps and to figure out how to turn a SQL query from 30 minutes into 30 milliseconds. 
But they also discovered at Oracle that I could explain what I was doing in kind of normalized English. Uh, so they moved me very rapidly to pre-sales. Um, and at pre-sales in Oracle, you were generic pre-sales, but then you also had to be specialist in a specific product. And at that moment, the first version of Oracle for the Mac came out. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. It was the first kind of event-driven programming environment. Like you could move over your mouse over a button and then, you know, there was an event and then you could trigger an action. Mm-hmm. That was, wow, that was really unique. And, and uh, so Oracle created the Oracle for the Mac interface. Um, and I became the Oracle for the Macintosh wizard. Mm-hmm. And um, the first training for that in Europe was uh, conducted in London. And the product manager for Oracle for the Macintosh was Mark Benioff. No way. So, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he taught me Oracle for the Macintosh. So he was a, he was a product manager and, and trained you, basically. Right. And learn from the best. <laughs> continue on that story because, you know, things come together very nicely. Uh, so, you know, of course, the founder and CEO of Oracle, uh, of co-founder and CEO of Oracle is uh, Larry Ellison. Um, and then at Oracle, we just got introduced then a system to keep track of our customers and opportunities and contact persons. Everybody certainly had to use that globally. The system was called Oasis. Mm-hmm. And the person that was responsible for designing that system was Tom Siebel. Oh, rings the bell. That's where Tom b- built his first CRM system and implemented it within Oracle. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it was, was a wild time. Um, fast forward to skip uh, a few uh, uh, startups. I then ended up at a startup called Siebel Systems. Mm-hmm. Obviously found by Tom Siebel. Uh, I was employee number 200. And four years later, we were 8,000 people. In which role then at Siebel? I started as a sales rep, mm-hmm. uh, which was really a step back. But I really believed in what they were going after. Um, so I started as a sales rep. And pretty rapidly, I became uh, basically a sales manager, sales director. And I ended up uh, running uh, Northern Europe for them. So I basically moved to Scandinavia, Copenhagen, mm-hmm. to run uh, the Nordics for them. Nice. Yeah. It was wild because, again, um, at Oracle, we were in then what we call the database war. It was us against Sybase and Ingress. Yeah. Um, w- you know, who's winning uh, the database world? Microsoft war. didn't play a role at the time. Microsoft just at the end OEM'd Sybase. The first version of SQL Server was an OEM version oh, of, wow. of okay. Sybase. I didn't know that. And, um, and, and from there, they, they, they further developed it. Um, But they hardly played a role at that moment. No, Mm. not really. Uh, Not not seriously. It was really Ingress, Informix, Sybase and Oracle. And and we won clearly with Oracle as the database war. Um, We did not necessarily have the best product, even though it was, of course, a pretty good product. Mm. Um, But we had Larry Allison. And we had the most aggressive go-to-market strategy from all of them. And and, and, and we had the brand Oracle. And we had... The best implementation of SQL, um, where Ingress had their own kind of variation and SQL became recognized as the standard for relational databases and Oracle was the best of implementing that as well. So that also gave them a lot of extra uh, wind under the wings. But that was the, the database war. And then at, at SQL, what was interesting is that I was more conscious about the fact that we were actually building a new software category. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when, when I joined Siebel, and when Siebel, well, Siebel got founded and later I joined Siebel, um, 
the term CRM did not exist. It's hard to imagine now because the yeah. first thing you do if you found the company now is to, you know, you go of to course. Salesforce and get a, Today it's a, given. a license for your CRM system. Yeah. Uh, but in those days, CRM did not exist. Not a single company in Holland or in Europe had a CRM system or globally, nobody had a CRM system. Um, analyst told Siebel there was no business for what he was trying to build. <laughs> Because they said in every country, people already have a local Salesforce automation or a, a customer system. And, mm -hmm. and Tom said, but nobody has a global enterprise system. What were they using before? Like Excel sheets or some localized players? Or? In every country, there was a local hero for uh -huh. customer data. Mostly focused either on sales or on customer service. Most companies had a sales or pipeline management system or an opportunity system. Many companies had a customer service system. Banks had product systems. You, you, you were known as an owner of a credit card, a mortgage, a payment system. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know who Marcel was yeah. or his family structure. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you were a holder of a bunch of products. Mm -hmm. um, and then with the introduction of Siebel, uh, we preached that people should get more organized around the customer. You know, if you're selling to Siemens, where are you selling to Siemens worldwide? How you, can you connect the dots and, and understand what you truly mean for Siemens in this example and yeah. then sell more to them or service them better or create different partnerships together with Siemens? You know, how do you organize around the customer? Mm -hmm. With banks, I was doing initially banks, financial institutions and, and, and insurance. How do you organize around the customer? How do you make sure you know who Mark Hollebach is mm -hmm. and that, you know, what policy has and which policy doesn't have and right. what his risk profile is and therefore which policy you do want to sell to him and which you probably maybe don't want to sell to him yeah. and what his family structure is and, and if you want to sell to that family ecosystem as well. Mm -hmm. uh, insurance, you know, if you sell one insurance, why don't you not get close to that customer and sell the second insurance? Mm -hmm. um, you spend millions on marketing to sell insurance and then you get a spontaneous connection from the customer to the insurance company when they have damage they claim and you give them a horrible treatment yeah why don't you make that claim event a, a party yeah because you know you have to pay damages you, you calculate how much damage you expect so right. that's not a problem for insurance just make that claim process easy and a good experience and then you can decrease the cost of managing the claims and you can create customer loyalty loyalty and sell more insurance to that same customer. So we really changed the dynamics of how people have to think yeah. about customer experience. I think the sad thing is, to some extent, this is probably now 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. In theory, all of the companies by now should have implemented exactly what you just said. But I would say in a lot of organizations, it's still very poorly implemented. True. I mean, people implement CRM systems. Of course, we, people switch from Siebel to, to Salesforce.com. Mark Benioff did something very smart. He created, of course, the, uh, the SaaS alternative to the right. on-premise version of Siebel. Uh, Siebel is absolutely superior in functionality. We also had very rapidly a uh, cloud version available. But economically, we could not switch to the subscription model. So Siebel was not beaten by SaaS. Siebel was beaten by the subscription model. Mm -hmm. We were already listed on the NASDAQ. We had an earnings per share expectation to deliver on. If we would have switched from perpetual license to subscription, we would have 
we would have to tell Nasdaq, you know, the next six quarters there is no revenue. Anymore. Right. Analysts didn't get it right at, at the time. At that moment, Nasdaq would not have accepted that. Yeah. Right. So we knew we were in a in a certain impossible position oh. uh, when this got introduced. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think <clears throat> that um, sales has changed the way software sales is done has changed in the last 20 years? Yeah, everything's changed. Also, that uh, I think um, with subscription models, it's easy for customers to start with small experience, departmental and, and, and skill from that. Um, at the same time, that also means often that people take less strategic decisions and people end up as a very fragmented landscape with thousands of SaaS point solutions, mm -hmm. which also can put bigger companies into complete anarchy or mm -hmm. you know, overwhelming complexity. Yep. Um, so that had impact for the organization, how they deploy IT, mm. you know, benefits and actually disadvantages, but also has impact on how you sell. It's much harder nowadays to sell software projects for you know, a ticket of millions, which mm -hmm. you know, we really did in the past with perpetual software. Um, much earlier, companies with at least new technology start much smaller. They can also start smaller, small, uh, faster and experiment. Right. Um, but at the end, you still have to make sure you take control over your overall IT landscape. Mm -hmm. and, and those things are sometimes in, in conflict. Yeah, I think in, uh, when I studied IT, we called that shadow IT, basically. Right, the business user would go out, has a problem, finds a solution, implements it. And uh, yeah, at one point you end up with the landscape of having dozens and dozens of, of different products and nobody has an overview anymore. It's uh, very recognizable. <laughs> you know, after Siebel, I, I ended up at Click. Uh, Click was the, the shadow IT BI alternative. People okay. had business objects from SAP and other big mm -hmm. BI uh, environments managed by corporate IT. And if you then as a business user wanted to report or new insights, yet sometimes had to wait weeks or months to get that report, which was unacceptable for the business. So they start to procure as a business Click uh, uh, and, and later Tableau and the kind of solutions for local shadow IT BI solutions to get the speed and agility. And they, those solutions became so popular that at a certain moment, corporate IT had to embrace it to bring it into the corporate landscape. Um, to facilitate the business or lose control completely over mm -hmm. their, their data. Yeah. So the, the shadow IT uh, environment is very well known to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, looking into your Vita, I think you could have easily retired just after click. What got you interested in products up? Well, you know, after uh, a while, I um, obviously want to do the next thing. I love, I love the software industry. I love the innovation. I'm very curious, always have been. So I love new things. Um, and I wanted to work for another company that had four aspects that mm -hmm. were really relevant to me. One, I wanted to found, find a company was a true business solution, not an IT solution, but a true business solution. I want to make sure that the company was solving a problem for the business. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it had to be a solution that I have emotional connection with. Okay, yeah. Um, I come from a retail family. Nice. So e-commerce, brands, retailers, all that's all very close to my, my, my core. And I truly understand that, that environment. To give an example of what I didn't do, I was also off the role as a chief revenue officer for a, a logistics SaaS company. Mm -hmm. And even though that was a bigger company and a very successful company, 
uh, like products up, but it was larger. And the role was, you could argue, bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no personal connection with logistics. I understand how important it is also for right. e-commerce, basically. Right. But, you know, to move a container from, from China to, to the Rotterdam Harbor, it's, it's, it's important, but it, it just doesn't excite me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I decided simply to, to turn that off and down. Um, the third thing, it had to be, of course, native in the cloud. I didn't want to have any perpetual software that tried to become cloud. That you, I've seen that a lot, and it's always struggles, and it's always complex, and it's simply too hard. And, and overall, it, 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 it very often does not truly succeed. Right. Um, and last but not least, I want to found a company where the founders and investors uh, had real core values mm-hmm. and were value-driven. Uh, and had a low ego. And I think that I also found this product up. Cool. And that's, I think, why I feel so much at home here. So you started at products up as um, chief revenue, chief sales officer, mm-hmm. stepped up after a while um, to being CEO. Um, what does products up do? We help brands, retailers, and online platforms to reach all their target audiences with the best product content globally. Mm-hmm. This is across thousands of channels and for multiple purposes. And we call that, that we provide those customers with a product to consumer platform. Mm-hmm. Every brand retail online platform has to reach target consumers to seduce them to buy their goods and services. Right. right? And people have been doing that by normal, old-fashioned analog advertising, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Then we got the digital advertising on Google and later Facebook, Instagram, and comparison sites and retargeting sites. Marketplace. And, 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 yeah. and that's to create interest. That's to create desire for mm-hmm. a product or service, right? Next, people saw, of course, the development of marketplaces. Also, there you need perfect product content. But it's for a different purpose. That's for transacting, to make people buy mm-hmm. in that marketplace. So where at one side you want to create desire, maybe this beautiful video or beautiful photos and, and the right text, obviously, to seduce people to be interested for a television or whatever, uh, you will not put your installation manual on Facebook. Of course not. Probably yeah. will not create <laughs> a lot of conversion, right? But if you're on a marketplace, you need extra product info to make really people buy that product. Mm-hmm. So that already tells you that perfect product content is different per channel and is also different per purpose. Yeah. And the third purpose that we fulfill with products up is we allow brands to deliver the perfect content to retailers and marketplaces, where the marketplace sometimes is really a, a platform for trading. Mm-hmm. But often marketplace also buy and actually act as a retailer. Mm-hmm. Now, there again, you need product content to be delivered for the retailer to enable the retailer or marketplace again to, first of all, seduce their customers to advertise, to let the consumer know right. they carry the brand, and then obviously to transact either online or in the physical stores. Yeah. Uh, and for that, again, you need to understand the content that the retailer requires as a brand to maximum enable that retailer to yeah. sell your products. So we do those things. We also do the opposite. If you are a retailer or if you are a brand, you need to absorb a lot of product content from a large variety of brands and distributors. Yeah. And the faster you can absorb that product data, the faster you can put new products 
in front of your consumers. The faster you have uh, the time to market, the, the faster you can be agile and react to new trends and demands in the market and opportunities and be successful. Right. Um, so, so we do the full spectrum of managing product customer uh, product content journeys. Yeah. Uh, and the third element I mentioned, there are different channels. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody understands that for TikTok, you need different content than for Twitter. Mm-hmm. After two extremes, and of course, again, Facebook, Instagram, and Google, every channel needs different content. Many people get you have different attributes and maybe different length of title and stuff. Right. And, and, and that's important. You need to map that. But that you could do with ETL. That's, get, that, that could be still seen as an IT job, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though IT does not always have the capacity or the mm-hmm. understanding for doing so. But the real thing is, if you think about channels, and it's not only advertising channels, but also marketplace channels. Every time you syndicate your product content, you talk to different AI algorithms. Yeah. You talk to Google, you talk to Instagram, you talk to Facebook, you yeah. talk to Amazon. If you don't understand how those algorithms work, yeah. they will not work for you. Like algorithms in the sense of the recommendation engine that suggests you a product, right? And you're trying right. to influence that. Absolutely. I mean, if you take this, these sunglasses, right? Um, this is not a Gucci, by the way, but let's assume it was Gucci <laughs> to make it a simple example. <laughs> Um, in your PIM in Gucci, this will not be called the Gucci beach sunglass. It might be called the beach sunglass mm-hmm. because everything is Gucci. Yeah, right. So internally in your PIM, this is the beach sunglass. Why would you add Gucci to the title, right? Right. You know, everything is Gucci. But if you upload this to Google and you don't put the brand name before the product title, mm-hmm. you will get very bad conversion. Mm-hmm even though you specify somewhere else that the brand is Gucci. But if you yeah. put the brand name before the product title, so you call it the Gucci beach sunglass, yeah. then the conversion will be much higher. Right. Um, that's a very simple thing of, as an example, how you have to understand the channel and how the algorithm works. Many retailers and brands are afraid of all those AI engines, Google, Facebook, they have all the data, they know the consumer, we don't have the data, we are doomed. That's not the case. Yeah. You have all those AI engines out there and we can make those AI engines work for you. Right. You have to leverage those AI engines. Yeah. Right? You have to upload the data in such a way that your product and the, in the best way is placed in front of the best target consumer right. with the highest possibility to convert. Yeah. But if you don't understand those AI engines, you only understand how many characters a field has, you know, you're going to successfully upload data, right. but you will get a very bad conversion. Yeah, I guess, I guess you just get average results then, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and then the third element in, in, in this whole journey is, again, we talked about we have different channels and you need to tailor the content for that. You have different purposes and you need to tailor content for that. Again, mm-hmm. for advertising, you have different content for the same product as you have for marketplaces where you want to transact. Yeah. Right? That's obvious. People get that, hopefully. But the third thing you have to understand is that you also need different product content for different target audiences. Mm, absolutely. And the example I used to, to explain is if you would put, if you would have a white sneaker which you want to sell and you mm-hmm. would put George Clooney in that sneaker, yeah. I might buy that sneaker. You know, I'm an old guy, I'm 59, and I'm like, oh, this guy looks attractive and successful with women. So maybe I can get some of that if I buy those sneakers. Little bromance. And, uh, you know, so I buy those sneakers. My son would never buy those sneakers with George Clooney in those sneakers. Okay. Right? Yeah. But if you put Harry Styles in the same sneaker, right. you might think like, that's a cool guy. Yeah. Right? He's successful with women in his category. Yeah. And, and I'm going to buy those sneakers. Right? I mean, 
the same sneaker, different content, right. different target audience, yeah. right? So, and it also means that the perfect content itself does not exist. So if you want to build a PIM and to put the perfect content in the PIM, we can tell you now, you will fail. Yeah. Because there is no perfect content. There is a perfect content per channel, per target audience, yeah. per purpose of, of syndicating that data. Yeah. And that's basically what we facilitate. And we do yeah. that for big enterprise customers. We do it for global customers. We do it around the globe. Yeah. We upload more than 2 trillion products wow. uh, every month. Every month. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And, yeah. and again, we play a huge role in, in, in this eco, in ecosystem, in the e-commerce environment. Uh, but also in normal commerce. Because again, you know, we allow brands to sell via retailers. Yeah. Right? Don't forget that. That's a very fundamental... Uh, <clears throat> When you say that, uh, do you basically mean as like listing a, a product on the shelf when you go into the store and you... Well, you know, if you are a, a normal grocery store, you need to know which, what ingredients are of the products. You need to explain to your customers um, uh, what the allergy information is. Yeah. Now, if you have a nut allergy, you would like to know if something contains nuts, yeah. both in the shop and uh, if you sell online. Uh, there can be fatalities if you don't get the product data right. Yeah. So that's a very again, simple example. But if you sell consumer electronics, again, you need a lot of data about this uh, product that you're selling, both online and in the shop. It has to be correct, it has to be consistent, it has to be reliable. Right. Uh, it has to be with the right level of detail. Uh, and again, if you think about just an electronic photo camera, an amateur photographer, they look for different data than uh, just a tourist that yeah. does casual photographing. Yeah. So again, depend on the target audience, you might want to use or present different uh, content. Yeah. For the retailers, another aspect. But the retailer also has to let the consumer know where to buy the product. Of course. So what we also do for retailers is what we call local inventory ads. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the US, you have a headache and you, you Google for Advil or you Google, you just say I have a headache. Google is able to tell you that Walgreens has Advil two blocks away from you for $4.99. Yeah. You might wonder, how does Google know where the Walgreens is? that they have that ad fill and what the price is for that ad fill. Somebody's telling Google that, right? Right. We're uploading all this data for Walgreens to Google. Awesome. And that's per product. You have to upload also the inventory and the pricing. You have to refresh that often. Yeah. Because if I go to that Walgreens and it's not there, I would yeah. be really upset. So you better get it right. Uh, but it's also used in, in, in Google Maps. You know, if you looked up on a, If you looked up, on a, looked up a couch online at a certain huge furniture uh, yeah. chain that's pretty global, and you looked up that couch global uh, online and you drive and you pass one of those huge uh, furniture uh, stores, Google Maps might say the couch you looked up yesterday is actually available on store in right. this uh, big blue box that you see next right. to the highway. Um, and that's again all driven by local inventory ads. And that's, you know, massive amount of data manipulation and, and uploading. I mean, I guess so, right? When you say two trillion, you can almost say, I don't know, like products up is a company. It's like the, the hidden backbone, right? That connects data from brands to retailers. You mentioned online platforms a couple of times. Can you explain what you mean with that? Yeah, we, we serve uh, companies like uh, Uber, Farfetch, okay. uh, Redbubble. We, we serve a huge amount of uh, platforms that sells products or services online. Yeah. 
and and they do it globally and they 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 use products up to massively target their consumers mm-hmm. and if you look to uber eats they you know that's micro marketing per city yeah you cannot market the hamburger from new york to right. somebody in london right so you have to be really precise with your marketing and you have to attract consumers that want to eat your stuff yeah you have to attract food producers and you have to attract drivers right but in the same proximity of distance to and, and connect those yeah right and 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 that that's an example uh, and and there are yeah many more on the business we we do the largest scale we, we do yeah. uh, iFoods in brazil you know huge environment with huge uh, number of uh, transactions happening uh, but also with a huge amount of uh, advertising happening online yeah. to seduce the consumer to to order yeah. food online um, so again, it's, it can be a service, it can be a product, uh, it can be fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, we do it massively and we enable those companies to really target all their customers globally. Yeah. It is a big uh, level of precision. Um, and that's really the, the power that we provide yeah. to uh, all these uh, And I guess looking at the the history of marketplaces, performance marketing, affiliate, price comparison, all these channels, I guess the complexity is just rising, right? When I, I mean, me being a marketeer myself, have started with basic SEM on Google. Yeah. Then at one point we had Google Shopping, right? Where still companies struggle today to, to figure out how to perfectly do it. Yeah? It's, it's not yet solved. But um, And then later social came in with um, Instagram. We have TikTok now and new new um, opportunities coming up. And what you keep seeing is the, the kind of messaging that you need to send that you just said, right, needs to be changed for every consumer and so on. You, you have right. different audiences and it, it goes more and more into depth, basically. Yeah, and, and that's also why you need to convert to a single platform. You know, you start to do all these things with different point solutions. You had yeah. something for advertisement, you had something for marketplaces, you had something else for product authentication, and then you had something else for all of those three per country, right? Um, so if you are a big beauty brand, you might have a few thousand systems. Yeah. Because you are in 50 countries, you have 50 brands, right. and you're connected to TikTok 2,500 times. <laughs> Now, that's insanity, but that happens, right? right. And, and, and for 80%, the, the, the complexity of getting the right product data together is the same for marketplaces, for advertising, mm-hmm. and for product consultation to retailers. Mm-hmm. And then there's this finesse per target audience and per mm-hmm. channel and you know, per purpose, basically, on why you syndicate data. Yeah. Um, and then you have the static data, uh, the slow data, as we call it, product name, product description, ingredients, they, they hardly change. Yeah. And then you have the fast data, inventory, pricing, customer yeah. consumer ratings you get from the internet, dynamic pricing you, mm-hmm. you, you use with a, via a third-party solution. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fast data you have to merge with the slow data. And again, that fast data you will never store in the PIM because your PIM will explode and cannot mm-hmm. handle that volume right um, and, and you have to combine the fast and slow data while syndicating right um, but the other interesting factor is which makes it more now complex that things are converging and it's mm-hmm. really interesting because what you just mentioned with uh, TikTok and Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. they now offer what we call the social commerce which right. makes yep. total sense yeah. they create desire and allow you to check out natively so you create desire and you allow people immediately to buy rather than being linked to a website or people have to go to a marketplace yeah. log in search you know select and no you create desire allow allow people to buy on the spot yeah that makes total sense yeah the funny part is advertising people don't know how to transact 
And the market people, marketplace people don't know how to advertise. Yeah. So we bring them together on a single platform. Awesome. We allow people to advertise and create that urge to buy. And at the moment they want to buy, we allow them to transact. And we bring the order stream together with the order stream from the, uh, from the marketplaces and do the product uh, yeah. order uh, syndication basically with in, in the backend with yeah. your normal order management systems and logistics systems and, and what have you. So we really bring social commerce and advertising together with uh, marketplaces. First of all, you need for 80% the same product content. And secondly, you need to take order streams back from all of those channels and bring that back into your kind of standard order management system right. to, to run the logistics for that. Um, and, and those worlds converging is just interesting to see, but it also proves that our vision of product content syndication and marketplaces and, and advertising to bring it all together on a product-to-consumer platform is absolutely the right one. Yeah. You, you, you spoke a couple of times now about a product-to-consumer platform. This sounds like you're up to creating um, a category, basically. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a very new term. Is that the way how you approach it with products up? Is that something you've learned from uh, your back in the days, Tom Siebel working with Mark Benioff and so on? Is that is that an approach you're taking? And, and, and why is it so interesting to create a category as a company? Well, you, of course, definitely take experience with you every time to your next job uh, that you have to do that counts for everybody hopefully uh, and obviously that also uh, counts for myself and being first in the database war and later being in 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 the world of creating a new software category crm is really interesting um you know we already had sales automation we already had customer service at siebel we already had internet uh, exposure mm -hmm. in 1997 when i joined uh, siebel <laughs> um, and then of course internet broke through big time from at purely an advertising kind of online catalog into a real interactive uh, environment um, and at the same time you know you got e-banks and you already had call centers and you know people panicked and and we could say don't worry Internet is just a new channel. You know, normal banks will not die. You will have branches, you will have internet banking, mm. and you have call centers. And you have to bring this all together and center around the customer. But Kenzie was telling all the banks, you need the customer-centric strategy. You need to segment your customers. You, yeah. have to, you have to know on which customer segments you want to focus. And also that drove again banks to become more customer-centric. And we were the best provider of that, that infrastructure for the banks to, nice. to do so, for, you know, to take banking as an industry as an example. Um, so things very nicely came together that allowed Siebel to create a CRM category and then later Mark Benioff to take that over very uh, <laughs> elegantly by coming basically with the subscription model that ruined basically That again uh, shows not always the first wins. Often they win, but not always. <laughs> well, Apple was not the first with the MP3 player, right? Right. I was one of those uh, geeks that had his MP3 player while traveling around the world and I, was, I could rip CDs and upload that to my MP3 <laughs> player. But I tell you, When Apple came with the iPod, I immediately understood why that was a better alternative. Yeah. And it was the convenience they were offering. Uh, and the technical magazines were um, killing the iPod because they never said how many megabytes it had mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all the stuff. And, and Steve Jobs like, I know it, it, it takes a thousand songs. Yeah. I, and, <laughs> yes. and, and the tech industry didn't get it. It's like, no, no, how many megabytes? It doesn't matter. It's a thousand songs. You can yeah. carry with you everywhere. So, you know, that you saw those things happening now back to products up um yeah i fundamentally believe that every organization big or small already now but definitely within five years needs a product to consumer strategy mm -hmm. every organization will have to figure out how do i reach all my target 
consumers eraan de kloop. Ja. You know, via brick-and-mortar, via online, mm-hmm. direct of via third parties, marketplaces en retailers. Or special in a few years. Or special, etc. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the, the, the whole thing, the metaverse, everything is happening. There are many developments. But if you yeah. don't have a strategy mm-hmm. in your core, how am I going to reach all those target audiences and fulfill that everywhere? Because bringing the perfect product content to the target consumer taking consideration the channel I use and the purpose of that communication. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that strategy, you will not be able to survive. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that doing this via one platform obviously is more operational efficient. Mm-hmm. Obviously, connecting 2,500 times to TikTok is not that efficient by, or by instead of doing it once. And yes, we can allow you to set up the infrastructure once and do this very efficiently and still allow for local agility. Yeah if and when needed, right? So you can combine both. So there is no reason to keep on doing this uh, with local independent systems, whatever. There's absolutely no reason for it. So yes, it drives operational efficiency. Yes, it is cheaper to do it on one platform. Yes, you can have best practices and mm-hmm. get better conversion rates. And yes, there is a shorter time to market. Um, if you can do this on a single platform, uh, all these things are absolutely true and are a fantastic business case to yep. adopt uh, products up for your product to consumer. Strategy. But the real most important strategic reason to implement a single platform is this. If you have all those product content journeys to your target consumers mm-hmm. going uncoordinated around the globe via different systems, mm-hmm. you can never bring this data back. You can never measure where right. am I successful? Right. Which digital asset works? Which celebrity works in my advertisement? Yeah. Do I reach all my target audiences? What's the difference in adoption of product or color or shape in yeah. fashion? Uh, what's the difference between Germany and France and the US and Mexico? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I produce? Uh, in fashion, we have talk about fast fashion. We can talk about virtual fashion. We can make out of my PLM fashion available to the consumer yeah. before it's even produced. See what resonates, what converts. And therefore, what should I produce? Rather right. than produce a front and hope somebody's buying it. Um, the faster you can measure how things convert online and what resonates with consumers and what doesn't, and how the difference per target audience and per geography, yeah. the better you can influence your marketing, your supply chain, your, your logistics, everything. Yeah. This will be the difference between winning and losing in the future. Yeah. If you work in the blind, if you only know six months after the fact, where you have been successful and where not. While your competitor can see that real time and adjust his systems mm. and his production and his logistics and his marketing. Yeah. You know, that they are definitely in an yeah. you know, unfair advantage. And I guess make that knowledge then available to the whole organization, right? And not keep it in a silo. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. If, if people on marketplaces don't know what's happening with advertisement, And if they don't understand what the retailers request for data about the same yeah. product, then you know how can you ever have a consistent messaging to your target consumers? Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Let's take a little sidestep um, because I I saw that um, you're also covering the B2B space, mm-hmm. which and which I think personally think is always very interested because it's interesting because it's so overlooked, right? So when uh, I know a lot of like other software companies out there that tackle the B2B space, and what they typically tell me is they face kind of like they face similar problems than the the, the direct to consumer world or the the brands out there, but um, they're lacking like four, five, six years behind. Absolutely true. And and I 
been on a conference uh, pretty recently in, in, uh, in San Diego, on the B2B conference, and you really see there's kind of a sense of panic now starting. Yeah. A little high level of anxiety. What, what kind of companies are there on a B2B conference? Well, let's be clear. B2B is roughly between 40 and 50% of national GDP or global GDP, right? So, you know, a lot of stuff happens before it ends up uh, with at the end consumers. Yeah. Um, and first of all, manufacturers need to distribute product data to distributors and end users mm -hmm. of technical products. Um, for that, there are many standards. <laughs> They're complex. We talk about BMCAT and ETIM and, and those standards. And, and you have national data pools where you need to syndicate data with, where then again distributors and retailers uh, okay. take their data from. Um, and if you are not able to get this product data out with the right technical specs and everything, then mm -hmm. people that need those, let's say, components will select something else right. for that product. Yeah. Right? So it's really key to have that available. We see B2B manufacturers that struggle to getting catalogs out which were specific per country or which even had you know the local language properly mm -hmm. uh, supported. Um, or they could not fulfill the requirements of the local uh, data pool that was available for technical products in, in these countries. Mm -hmm. So that's already a very basic problem that you know we sincerely believe we, we solve the best in the world. There are people that can do BMCAT, there are people that could do ETIM, but we, we do everything basically, mm -hmm. right? And that really makes us unique. And we have huge uh, global clients mm -hmm. like Schleiner Electronics and Bosch and Hans Grohe and mm -hmm. Grundfos that, that are using our, our platform for mm -hmm. the technical product content syndication. But that's not enough anymore. All these companies also need to be on marketplaces. I In the US, so, right? there's a lot of anxiety about uh, Amazon business. Yeah. At one hand, everybody wants to be there and they don't have an infrastructure to go to marketplace. And now they want to be on the marketplace. So At the funny, same time, yeah. they also think that if Google, or sorry, if Facebook, uh, no, sorry, if Amazon takes 10% of our most profitable products away from us, mm -hmm. you know, we are in, in trouble. Right. Right. <laughs> At the same time, they want to be on Amazon. Uh, business because yeah. that's again an opportunity and a threat at the same time so it's kind of you know you do if you you're doomed if you do doomed if you don't history repeats itself <laughs> history repeats itself so you have to do the product consultation but then you know you also have to be on marketplaces and then many of these manufacturers still want to be with their products in due to yourself environments or you know more retail oriented channels um, and of course product shop is you know one of the best solutions in the globe if not the best for product consultation for retailers, our retail yeah. PX. So we are the only platform in the world that can do the technical product consultation globally. Yeah. We can do marketplaces also for B2B and we can do the syndication to retailers, including do-it-yourself yeah. uh, environments, etc., which are key for many B2B uh, uh, environments. Yeah. Uh, so again, that, that market is really very interesting for us. We are very well positioned for it. Mm -hmm. um, they have to catch up, but they have to catch up rapidly. So, you know, we think that's, that's a uh, very important uh, market for us. Awesome. We're nearing the end of the episode. Um, what's up next for Product Up? What's next at Product Up? <laughs> well, uh, there, there's a lot happening. You know, we have a huge <laughs> R&D team that is cranking out a lot of new functionality, new features, uh, new channels we support. Uh, we do thousands of channels, uh, 3,000, 4,000 channels. I mean, that's, that's increasing, yeah. of course, daily almost. Um, We see more and more functionality uh, across marketplaces. We see a lot of functionality that is intersecting between marketplaces and, 
uh, advertising, which is the social commerce. Again, mm-hmm. Google Shops will be, you know, I think that could become very big. TikTok shops and so on, right? Uh, Instagram TikTok shops, shops yeah. and then the Facebook and Instagram, uh, the instant uh, direct checkout. I mean, those are vital environments. Yeah. As, and I think as a brand, you cannot afford not to be ready for that. Right. Um, you have to be. Uh, we don't know how big it will be and how fast will it really take, you know, big uh, time, but it, it will happen. And again, this brings uh, advertising and marketplaces together, yeah. which is pretty interesting because as I said earlier, the advertising people don't really know how to transact mm. and the marketplace people don't really know how to do advertising. Yeah. And this product up having a single platform for both, uh, we really bring those worlds very nicely together and enable brands to do this consistently across the globe, across many marketplaces and be consistent in messaging uh, in all the advertising channels and on, on the marketplaces. Yeah. Good stuff. Vincent, thanks for the for the talk. You're welcome. And uh, let's touch base in six to 12 months and see how things are going. Absolutely. Happy to do so. Thank thanks. you.